So this is the only place that I like crowds. I cannot stand crowds. I'd rather have a mediocre meal and go to an uncrowded restaurant than to have a great meal with a huge crowd. So the only place that I like being bumper to bumper with people, elbows to elbows, is in church. So that being said, I know how some of you feel. So it's okay. Relax. Um, If the little ones want to sit on the carpet, it's up to the parents now. It's up to the parents. That's fine. If you need to sit in the back in the kitchen where there's a television, or you want to sit outside so you're not so close to everyone, praise God. We're just happy you're here. Consider this the living room. If you need to stretch out, if you want to sit in the back, you want to stand up against the wall. We don't care. I prefer you keep your clothes on. No hippies here. Don't flip off your shoes, you know, because I don't want an usher to have to tell you they stink. But we do want you to be comfortable. We also have a special guest with us today. Uh, Reggie was talking about how the kids are with us. We have some visitors here. But also, we're streaming on the Bloom. So we just want to put a special shout out to the retirement home there. We love you guys. We are praying with you. We're so grateful that you're here with us this Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. So we have quite a group. But why? What, what's, what are we doing here? Why is this day so special? If this day is not real, if Christ isn't resurrected, then everything else we're teaching, doing, acting, praying for is just a lie. It's a waste of time. So today we're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about the reality of the resurrection. And then if you know me, we got to throw some history in there too, right? We just got to. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I thank you personally that you don't tell us to just be blind, ignorant followers of you, Lord. You told the prophet, come, let us reason together. You give us these evidences and these testimonies to show us that we can trust you. Then you fill us with your spirit and you lead us in direct, every single day directly. We thank you, Lord. Lord, there's kids here. I pray that you bless them and prosper them, that they have a good time. I pray, Lord, for our guests here that maybe don't know you. I pray that they would receive and hear from you this morning. I pray for those that are walking with you faithfully this morning, that you would continue to encourage and strengthen them. And we pray for those that are online, that are here, that are in the back, that are in the kitchen watching, Lord, wherever they're at, you are there. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's jump right into some text, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 28, the book of Matthew. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guard shook for fear of him and became like a dead man. This is not a political statement. They're just going to go find the Lord. They think he's dead. They think he's in this grave, a tomb. They would bury people in rocks and crevices, and they would have um, the richer you were, the more ornate your gravesite would be. Jesus was placed in a rich man's tomb, even though he had no money. It says that they went after the Sabbath because they're not allowed to go there on the Sabbath. They go first thing in the morning on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. They have nowhere else to go. They think they're going to go find a dead body. But as they go there, they see an angel who's sitting on a stone that he rolled away. I um, will also point out that this was an unlawful assembly. 
they had guards there to stop anyone from going in there. But they ran away. They were terrified of this angel. We just want to go where the Lord is going. You know, this is not a political statement here, gathering here on Resurrection Sunday. I don't really care what they say about uh, assembling in the churches. I am very concerned with everyone's health and well-being and safety, but I just want to go where the Lord is, and I want to be where, every, where everyone else is gathering to be with the Lord. I just can't do anything but that. And so as the ladies are going there to the tomb, they find it empty, the guards have run away, and an angel is sitting on top of the stone. Now, some skeptics in here, of which I am one, will say, well, in another gospel, aren't the angels inside the tomb? Well, that's a contradiction of Scripture. No, it is not. It is just another compounding witness. See, these gospels are not identical, but they share different viewpoints. And in those viewpoints, they collaborate and correlate what is going on. See, in the other gospel, it said that two angels were inside the tomb. So the question is, how many angels were there? Were there two or one? Well, if the kids here can do some math, two plus one is three. There was three angels, one sitting on the stone and then two sitting inside. The gospels are separate eyewitness accounts. They say that as a police officer, I'm not one. I know there's some here or some, uh, re- some retired police officers. If every single person is telling you the exact same story to the word, what are you going to think? Oh, boy, ma- they got together and they made this up. But when you see different details in every different story and they all line up together, you know most likely that is the truth. Then you'll have an outlier that will say something completely different Hmm, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, we will find the truth. But more on that a little bit later. More on that a little bit later. There are some here who are thinking all of this is a cute myth. All of this is just a cute fairy tale to tell our kids. Baloney. But let's go through some evidence. Check out this quote. There is no scholar in any college or university in the Western world who teaches classics, ancient history, New Testament, early Christianity, or any related field who doubts that Jesus existed. With respect to Jesus, we have numerous independent accounts of his life, sources that originated in Jesus' native tongue, and that can be dated to within just a year or two of his life. Historical sources like that are pretty astounding for an ancient figure of any kind. The claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. That's a quote from Bart Ehrman. And you're like, okay, great. They dug out some pastor to say something. He's a secular agnostic atheist. In fact, he started his life as a fundamentalist Christian, went to quote-unquote theological seminary, became a liberal Christian for about 15 years, and now he's an avowed atheist. He's a critic of the Bible, And yet he's the one telling us there is no doubt at all that Jesus Christ existed. Now, that's important because that means if you're a skeptic here or online, we know historically that Jesus existed. So the fact that he's a myth and this is a fairy tale, not possible. So then we must assume if we're a critic that they were lying about what happened because people don't come back from the dead. I mean, come on. That's a fairy tale. Just to add a little bit more emphasis besides one quote, 
There are over 30 authors outside of the Bible in that time period, within 150 years of his life, who all collaborate that he existed. Flavius Josephus, Cornelius Tacitus, Sotinarius, and I have no idea how to say that name, by the way, so just good luck Googling that one later. The Jewish Talmud records his existence. It's a historical fact that Jesus is Lord. Now, let's read verses 5 through 7, shall we? But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Where is the body? Where's the body? There was a special, I think it was around 2008, 2009, on the, uh, the mythology channel, I mean history channel, <laughs> and it claimed that they found the tomb of Jesus, the lost tomb of Jesus, even though Jesus was the third most popular name of that time, and they had an entire family buried in that tomb, and there were over 150 tombs with the name of Jesus in it in that vicinity from that time period, but you know, they found it. That's good for ratings. Remember, they're there to sell advertisements, not to educate us. And even though all these things are there, wouldn't you think if the tomb existed at that time with Jesus' name on it that they would find it? There's a whole opposition to the gospel at that time. A lot of people are trying to prove at that time that Jesus is not risen from the dead. They couldn't prove that he didn't exist because he had been walking around there. He had been in the temple. They had had court recordings. They had all this evidence, eyewitness accounts. Everyone had seen Jesus. He was a famous, famous rabbi. Multitudes were coming from everywhere. They had people who were healed miraculously, who were showing up. You just couldn't argue with that. What they could fight about was the resurrection. There's no way that a man can bring himself back from the dead. It's impossible. Don't you think that they would have found the tomb? On uh, alwaysbeready.com is a... Charlie Campbell, he's one of my favorite apologists, and a lot of this information comes from there. He points out, I was never in the mob, but don't you think they would have got rid of the body? (laughs) Duh. (laughs) But now you're telling me, now there's still skeptics out there, okay, okay, Mike, all right. I grant you, historically, he must exist. All right, it's not a myth. But they must have been lying about this. There is no way possible. They must have made this up. All of these disciples must have got together and come up with a plan. But what is this angel saying? Come and see. There's nothing here. Come and see where the Lord lay. His body's not there. Well, they must have made him disappear. But what does the angel see? Come and see him. He's coming. You're going to see him. Now, in verse 8, it says, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. So the ladies are running away, and they're full of fear and great joy. I'm going to talk specifically to the skeptic here, because the evidence is coming. You're starting to see it. It's starting to make sense. And you are filled with fear and great joy. Fear, because what if this is true? Where am I? What if this is right? 
Oh boy, what about my family? What about my history? What about our traditions? What about my thoughts? What about the university? What about, what about all these things? And you're, you're starting to get filled with fear, but then also great joy. What if this is real? And what if I found it? What if Jesus is alive? And what if everything that this crazy guy uncomfortable in a suit up here is saying is true? What then? And then they go and run to the disciples. They haven't made up their mind yet, the ladies. I don't think. Now, it's dangerous to say from a biblical perspective what somebody's thinking unless it says it in the Scripture. Very dangerous. But to me, they don't know what's going on yet. They don't know what's going on. Now, let's read verses 9 through 10. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Go and tell the disciples they will see me. Now Mary and Mary, they know that Jesus is alive. They've seen him himself. How is this possible? It is not possible. That's the whole point. That is the the whole point. These people have seen him with their own eyes. It is going to radically change them like never before. Imagine you're the disciples of the Bible. Imagine you're the apostles. Imagine you're the multitudes. You have seen with your own eyes Jesus walking around and teaching. You've heard with your own ears his words, crazy words. You've seen him perform miracles. You've talked to people who have been healed. You've seen people that have been fed miraculously. The apostles walked with him for three years and saw all of these incredible things. But the night of his crucifixion, where were they? Poof, gone. They wouldn't stay there. They were terrified. They were fearful. They were going to die torturous deaths, and they wanted to preserve themselves. But after they see the Lord Jesus alive, miraculous, impossible, yet there he is, Their lives are radically transformed in a way that cannot be explained. So to the skeptic, I throw the burden of evidence back on you. Like, you're telling me that these historical figures that are historical fact from outside outside of biblical sources, outside authors, critics of Christianity even recording that they existed, to a man, with the exception of the Apostle John, die painful, murderous death, taking to their graves, confessing from the very places that they're killed that Jesus Christ is alive and they saw him. You're you're telling me that to a man with no gain, no financial gain, no popularity, no physical power, riches, nothing. They got nothing for it. Took it to their grave that they saw Jesus Christ. He is alive, and He is alive today, and we can trust Him, and we can trust Him. We can put our faith in Him, not blind faith, not arrogant, ignorant faith. We just don't go, well, no matter what, there's just nothing better out there. I'll just believe in Jesus, because what else am I going to do? Vote for those people? No way. No. We have real faith in a real God. He is alive. His word is true. 
You can go into a plane right now, fly over to Jerusalem, take your spade out, start digging in the dirt, and start finding evidence for this book and the manuscripts thereof. You can follow historical eyewitness accounts. You can look at the internal consistency of the Bible. You can confirm with your own eyes the prophecies that are fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled. And every one of these things is hindering on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave after he died on Calvary. And he did. And it's confirmed. Speaking of the Apostle John, later in his life, he writes in the epistle 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Imagine, to, to imagine today I disappeared, never to be seen again. And you went to my kids and said, oh yeah, your dad never existed. He's just a figment of your exa- imagination. They're going to be like, you are out of your mind. So that's just my, yeah, there he is right there. <laughs> You'd be like, you're crazy. I just wrestled with him. He headbutted me in the face the other day. He has handled me. He's, he's heard me. He has been with me. He spent time with me. He has photos of me. He has favorite places with me. You, you just can't say, no matter how much time you get together to try and say that I didn't exist, they're going to be like, you're crazy. You're crazy. But that's what they're trying to do with the Messiah. That's what they're trying to do with you. That which our hands have handled. John was writing this 75 years after he had been with the Lord in the flesh. Remember the persecutions, the confrontations, the difficulties, the suffering. All these things that confirmed that Jesus is who he says he is because to a man, these historical figures all confessed his resurrection. He says, I have touched the Lord. But when he says our hands have handled, what else is he saying? My hand has handled him after he rose from the dead. I have touched him after he came back to life. That's how I can put my faith in him. That's how I can teach you these things. That's how I can share with you things decades and decades after he went and rose again to heaven. Now, they also saw him ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1 and 2. They saw Jesus ascending, and then another angel popped up. And what did he say? If you you were with us a couple weeks ago, he said that in the like manner he went up, he's going to return. Well, how could you say he's going to return? Because he's still alive today. He's not dead. We're not worshiping a dead guy. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all those guys are dead. In a grave, buried in the dirt somewhere. Jesus, he's alive in the heavens. Now, we talked about some skeptics, right? Well, there were skeptics in that day too. Let's read in verse 11 through 15. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure." So they took the money and did as they were instructed, as this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. 
But did you, you thought the opposition was going to stop? Like there was going to be suddenly everyone's going to wake up. You know what? All these historical things are true. We're just going to start following the Lord now. If it didn't happen then, why do you think it's going to happen now? See, the decision is yours and yours alone. Some of you were scared to come to church today because you're like, oh my gosh, that pastor is going to brainwash me and I'm going to walk out of there like a goose-stepping fundamentalist radical Christian. I wish that were true. The problem is you're all rebellious sinners, every single one of you, and you have your own minds, and you have your own thoughts, and you do things your own way. can't make you do anything. But the Holy Spirit works in you, and it comes alongside the teaching of the Word of God, and it confirms, yeah, yeah, this is legit. This is the real deal. And you have to, what Paul the Apostle did before his conversion, you have to kick against the goads, this wooing, this, this spirit, the truth. The Word of God all confirming, yep, this is it. This is the real deal. But even then, some people will say, nope, nope, nope. We resist. No. And you have this thing called free will. Free will. You can come in here, you can hear all this, and you can walk away and say, that was nice. I had to suffer through another Resurrection Sunday and make my girlfriend happy. I'll do it again next year and not change at all. There were people that saw the resurrected Lord that couldn't find the dead body that were in opposition to him. And instead of repenting said, I know what you saw. I know what you think you saw. Wink, wink. Here's a lot of money. Go your way and keep your mouth shut. You need to say this instead. Now, why did the Roman guards do this? Like, why are they going alongside with it? They are under a death penalty now. They had to guard a Roman sealed tomb. That was their post. They have AWOLD, abandoned their post. And in Roman times, if you do that, you are murdered. You are given a torture. It's not, oh, yeah, you know, let's just cut his head. No, it's a torturous death. So their options are die a torturous death, take this bribe, and let the Jewish guys try to protect us. I think I'm going to take that one. I think I'm going to take that one. And that's what happened. Even though they saw it, they had to be bribed to lie, to lie. Why is it that the skeptics trust, they trust the evidence, the so-called evidence against the Bible, but they won't trust any of the evidence for the Bible? If you have a scientific study, why is it that we don't question it? And I'm not saying throwing it out because it's scientific. No, I, I encourage it. But we need to handle this evidence together. How is it that a secular agnostic atheist can say that there's no doubt whatsoever historically that Jesus existed, and yet there are still people out there with all kinds of fancy degrees saying that he's a myth? How can that... Why are you assuming that people are are telling the truth? Do you know that the Bible tells you to question your teachers in the church? Did you know that? The Bible tells you not to believe everyone that claims to be a pastor. I tell you, don't believe everyone that claims to be a professor. You need to objectively check out the data being presented to you. Objectively check out the data being presented in the Bible, being presented in the history book, being presented in the scientific community, because they are not all mutually exclusive. Truth is truth. 
These disciples, historically proven, archaeological, historical, manuscript, eyewitness accounts, inside and outside the Bible, are all going to follow Jesus to his death, to their deaths. Why will they do that? Why will they choose death over recanting their faith? Because they know that Jesus rose from the grave and that they will likewise be risen from the grave. They are going to rise from the grave as well. And the, we are told here to follow the Lord. Let's read verses 16 to 20 as we close out this chapter. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them when they saw him. You can underline that one. They worshipped him. You can underline that one too. But some doubted. That's still an underline. Yeah, they still doubted. They're looking at him. And they're like, I don't know, man. This is not possible. Let's keep reading. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So the disciples are the apostles. The apostles are there. And it says, and some doubted. Let's just rat them out, shall we? Thomas is doubting. Thomas shows up a little bit later. Jesus is there looking at them eye to eye. And he's like, this has got to be a ghost. What does Jesus say? Get out of here, ye of little faith. No. I'm glad I have the sense of humor of a 10-year-old. <laughs> he says, go ahead and touch me. Go ahead, touch me. See that I'm real. T- touch me. Put your hands in the wounds. And Thomas bows down and says, my Lord and my God. They're worshiping him because they know what has just happened is not possible, and yet it is. Now, these are my orders. The same that was told to the disciples are what's being told to me, and I pray it's being told to you. Go into all the, the world. It says, all authority has been given to me, and I don't preach in my own authority. We preach in the Lord's authority. We, we preach what Jesus taught. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And that's what we do now. And in Jesus' authority and in the name of his resurrection, which I can claim is a historical fact, we can preach these doctrines to you. We can talk to you from the Bible. We can talk to you with authority. We can say these things are so, and that when I die... If the Lord tarries, I will rise again, as he did. And that's what Paul teaches us in, the, in 1 Corinthians. The apostle Paul is showing us that as well. He's applying the historical fact to the present-day reality. He does that in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Oh, he's not done. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. 
After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born of due time. So Paul is saying that we trust Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins because he is alive and that over 500 people saw them. And he's saying, even in these latter days, in the first century, and a lot of these people that saw him are still alive today, but some of them have fallen asleep. They've died. He's saying that there's eyewitness accounts at that time that you can just go over to their house, knock on it. Hey, uh, Mr. Smith, I, I was told that you saw Jesus. Oh, man, I did. It was the craziest thing ever. Nobody believes me, but let me tell you. And then he shares that story. Why would you write that in there at that present time if it weren't true? Why would Paul have his head shot off if he didn't himself see Jesus as he claimed? But how could he see Jesus? That was after his resurrection. How is that possible? Y'all, are you not listening? Jesus is still alive today. He didn't ever die. Well, he died once, but then, you know, he didn't die again. He ascended into heaven. He's still there at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. What did he tell the disciples? Go, I will be with you always. And when you have a relationship with the Lord, when you're reading and you're praying, you're not praying to a dead guy. You're not praying to an altar. You're praying to him who is alive and liveth forevermore. That's King James, you know, version of it. And he talks back to you through his word and through the Holy Spirit that He fills you with. But all these things are not possible without the resurrection. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If you are a Christian you are living in the spirit of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit that raised him lives inside you and has the power to do these things. Now, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which is impossible, but it happened once, what kind of things can he do through you today? Do you think that he can overcome, I don't know, depression? Do you think that he can overcome anxiety? Do you think that he can overcome addiction? Do you think that he can overcome your difficulties, your health problems, your fears, your financial issues? I'm not saying that it's all going to be easy, no. But I'm saying you will have victory, promised by God. Because you will ultimately be resurrected with him as a believer. The same spirit that was in him is in you. We have victory and hope through Christ Jesus. It is by faith you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God, the Bible says. When you accept Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, it's finished. It's done. You're saved. Last Sunday, we talked about how there's no good Christians, only saved sinners. And that's how we can leave here and rejoice. Because when you woke up this morning and you took another breath, it's a free gift of God. The work was already done. You see, before the two Marys made it to the tomb, Jesus was already gone. 
He was already resurrected. The work was already finished. Before you woke up and came here this morning, oh boy, I got to go do my church thing, get holy. You're already holy, already done. We come here to celebrate this morning. We come here to rejoice. We come here to enjoy the free gift of God, that He has done that work. I'm going to close with a story from Pastor Chuck that I heard uh, yesterday. Just yesterday, I was listening to one of his podcasts. It's an old study he taught, and he shares a story. He used to work in a grocery store. Satan probably knows this, but I didn't know this. But he was the head of a produce department. Did not know that. And Pastor Chuck was working for the first 17 years of his ministry. He worked full-time and was also a pastor. He tells about working in an Alpha Beta store, but how his mother-in-law had died, Kay's Kay's mom had died, and so he had to go and take care of the business. It took a couple weeks to have the funeral, close out the affairs, and come back. I'm going to try and give you the short version of this story. Um, He can't go back to work because he has to pay his union dues. He goes down to the union hall, hey, man, I forgot to pay my dues. Let me pay it for me so I can go back to work. They say, that's fine, but you have a $50 fine. Pastor Chuck tells him, hey, I'll pay the fine, but I can't pay unless I go to work. Well, you can't go to work unless you pay. So he, he walks out. He tries to make it a couple of weeks. The church was only able to provide $20 a week at that time. Barely enough for the food. He's raising three kids. They're in, one of them's in high school by that time. He says one day he puts all his bills on the table on his office. It's $417 in debt. He doesn't know how he's going to get out. He's thinking the Lord's probably telling him, you know, don't be in ministry anymore. Just be a businessman. Provide. He gets a phone call. He gets a phone call from someone out in California. Hey, Chuck, we just want to let you know. The Lord really put it on our hearts. So we went ahead. We sent you a check just from the Lord. Uh, to provide for the ministry. He says, all right. That's what Pastor Chuck says. They say it's for the amount of $425. Pastor Chuck talks about how he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. He's in the kitchen dancing with Miss Kay. I can't even imagine it, but I'm thinking it. It's just praising God. He says, uh, he quotes, they were the most beautiful praises you've ever heard in your, in your life. But then he says, I heard the Lord speak to me, and he said, how do you know they sent the check? Chuck goes, oh, Lord, these are good people. I trust these people. It's already in the mail. It's a done deal. These are these are awesome people. How can you even question that, Lord? Of course it's on its way. And then the Lord spoke to him, really? Because I made you promises, and you weren't dancing. You weren't rejoicing. You weren't singing praises to me then. You trust these people, but you don't trust me. And Pastor Chuck goes, I went from praising to repenting. <laughs> Why do I share this story? Because God has great promises for us. His promises are true. And we should leave here like we just got that phone call. Great news. Because whatever you're going through, He's already done it. He's already made a way. So go and rejoice forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much. For those online that are here that don't know You, Lord, we pray we get that business out of the way. That divine appointment between You and them right now that they would pray this prayer silently within their own heart. And you can repeat after me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died and rose again to forgive me of those sins. Please fill me with your spirit. I claim you as Lord and Savior of my life. And for those of us that do know you've been walking, whatever state we're in, whatever difficulty we've been in,
whether we're in the bloom or we're here, whether we're in Indonesia, whether we're in Florida, Lord, the different people that have been watching online, wherever we're at, you are there. You have filled us with the same spirit that resurrected the Lord, and we pray that we would go away rejoicing, but that we would also go out on mission to make disciples, Lord, to share this wonderful good news, the fact of your resurrection and the hope of glory that we have in it. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you, if you have accepted Christ your Lord and Savior today, you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So tell somebody that you came with. You can come up and you can tell us. We'd love to pray for you. We're up here at the front. There'll be uh, brothers in the back that can pray for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.